Well, good afternoon and thank you for joining me again for Business, the Law and You. Julian Campbell here. We've got another interesting show lined up for you this week. A bit later in the program, we'll have a look at our Harvard Business Review tips. This particular one is use the first few minutes of a virtual meeting to establish connections. We're also going to be having our chat with uh, Christina on our Minute on Innovation. We're actually going to look at what is innovation and 10 types of innovation, which we'll be spreading out over the next couple of weeks. But right now we're going to have a chat with John Woodward, who's a sessional lecturer with the University of Newcastle, the legal department here. And we're going to talk about commercial motor vehicle insurance. Good afternoon, John. Oh, good afternoon, Julian. How are you? I'm good. It's a long time since we've chatted on the radio. It is a while. We have to do it more often. Yes, absolutely. So uh, when we come to uh, commercial uh, insurance, uh, what do people suffer if they have an accident? Well, look, um, the, the subject matter really is to do with those people who use their motor vehicles for their employment in, in, in the course of their employment, not, not just getting to and from work, but people yeah. who use... So we're talking about trucks or semi-trailers or commercial plant equipment. Um, when those vehicles are insured, um, they are, under normal policy of motor vehicle insurance, insured for damage. So that, like in any um, insurance situation, if, if a motor vehicle is damaged, then under the policy of insurance, the underwriter agrees that um, it will indemnify the insured for the cost of getting the vehicle um, repaired or, or replaced at, a, at an agreed value. Um, what it does not indemnify you for um, is, is uh, the cost of having your vehicle off-road for the time it takes to do the repairs or get it replaced. And that, in business, can be uh, fatal if, if, for example, you're driving a, a career truck or something and it's your only vehicle and, uh, and it's out of action for six or eight weeks while it's repaired um, and you're uninsured for that, for that loss. Is there any, and that's, that's known as uh, uninsured losses, are there other uninsured losses as well or is that, is that well, the main well, one? Well, there can be. Um, Mostly it's the cost of replacement, of replacing the vehicle. Now, what, what people do is uh, sometimes they just go out and, and if it's a, an ordering uh, car, they just go and hire another car for, um, for uh, the time it takes to get theirs, their own replaced. But what they need to understand is that, that just by doing that doesn't mean they're entitled to recover that from the third party who's at fault. Mm. Because, because the difficulty is, and this is, is the trick, uh, the, the, the problem that they encounter with this is, is that, is that um, under the motor vehicle insurance policy, there is uh, uh, an agreement that the motor vehicle insurer, uh, in return for indemnifying you for um, indemnifying you under the policy for your, for your insured losses, you agree to assign or subrogate to the underwriter the right to maintain or defend any legal action that's taken in respect of that, of that accident. So the problem is um, you've sustained the accident, you've put in a claim on your motor vehicle insurance policy, you've been paid for the damage... Um, the motor vehicle insurer decides to seek recovery from the third party. 
Um, if, if in the meantime you've decided that you're going to pursue your uninsured losses through the courts and you, you commence proceedings against the third party yourself for your uninsured losses, you have breached your, your policy provisions your, 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 and, and you have disentitled yourself uh, from recovery under the insurance policy. Mm. So, so that that's the dilemma. That's the problem that, that that people face. The reason that is so is because that there is a law which uh, prevents people from bringing more than one cause, one case in relation to a given cause of action. So, if there's one accident, you can only sue once. Mm. Now, either you, the insured. Or the insurance company can do that. You can't both do it. So the consequences are that if you do it, um, you are either breaching your insurance policy, or you are breaching your insurance policy anyway. Um, in any subsequent proceedings, say for example, the insurance company went off to the courts not knowing that you'd brought these proceedings, the third party would be entitled to say, "Hang on, I've already had a judgment against me for this accident." Um, I'm entitled to um, not be proceeded against for any further any further um, damages under that accident, and that's the, that's the legal position. That's correct. And so the, uh, the the insurance company would then take action against you. Well, if they paid you, they would. Otherwise, they might just write to you and say, well, "Look, you know, we've assessed your claim. You've breached the terms of your policy. You're not entitled to indemnity." Mm-hmm. Mm. Because because you've you've already you've breached your policy by bringing proceedings for your uninsured losses. So is there ways any ways around this? Is uh, I suppose you can talk with your insurance company and see whether you can insure uninsured losses. Um, well, that's one thing you can do. That's the proactive measure that you you ask. Generally speaking, they won't because because it's uh, it's insuring an unknown. You know, mm. I mean, I don't know. It's just too difficult for them to. Um, to and I, I, I think you possibly can get it, but the real the answer to the to problem is that if you are contemplating, the moment you have a, a claim as a as a commercial uh, operator. What you need to do is to get in contact with your insurance broker straight away and say, I've got uninsured losses. How, how should I deal with those? There are two possible answers. One is that the insurance company um, can include your losses in its claim mm-hmm. against the third party. Um, the other thing it can do if it decides for whatever reason commercially not to proceed, it can give you permission to bring your own uninsured Thank proceedings. Mm. And that's the way to do it. Yeah. The, the, like so many of these problems, the, the, the answer is a very practical one in that it is, it is just um, you know, being proactive about it and, and, uh, and keeping people in the loop and you know, communicating with other people. So it, you, know, you, you should have an insurance broker for these sorts of things to cover you for these sorts of uh, problems. Mm. Um, and secondly, then you communicate the issue with them straight away so that they can either arrange for the insurance company to um, include your, your, your loss uh, in their claim or, or allow you to do it yourself. And when I was acting for insurance companies a lot, um, we often used to uh, proceed, include the insured, uninsured losses in our claim for the for the insurance company. Right. Well, thanks. Thanks very much for your time, John. We'll have a chat with you again another time. Terrific. Thanks, Julian. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. John Woodward there, who's uh, a lecturer with the University of Newcastle, helping us to understand the situation with commercial motor vehicle insurance. Time to pop over for our chat with Christina. Good afternoon, Christina. 
Good afternoon, Julian. How, how are you surviving this weather? Yeah, that's all right. It's a bit warmer today, isn't it? It, it is indeed, and it seems a little bit drier. And it could so, be quite nice on the weekend. That would be lovely, wouldn't it? So, so we've talked a lot about innovation over the months, years even, um, mm-hmm. and we're going to look at, in a little bit more detail what is innovation, and particularly 10 types. Yeah, I, and I think if we break down the potential for innovation into these 10 types, Businesses might not feel that it's such an overwhelming um, thing that they need to need to approach or talk about in meetings or, you know, spend time developing. So um, I've come across a, a really good um, resource, the 10 Types of Innovation. Uh, and just before, before we actually note what those 10 types are, everybody wants to innovate potentially because it's the new buzzword and you know mm. people are people are trying to do new things all the time um and it's not through lack of want sometimes and it's not even through lack of ideas sometimes potentially what we find when we go into organizations is that it, it, it's due to lack of discipline so you can go in and and have a, a a great session and develop up some ideas and have new product or services on the offering but it's the discipline that comes behind those um, those ideas, those workshops that, you know, brainstorming, whether you love it or hate it, whatever, the different idea models that you use to get out, it's the discipline that comes and follows that up and actually has things starting to happen. Uh, so there's three things that, that we like to tell people to be aware of, um, and that is, one, don't only focus on products because your services are just as important. Mm. Um, and there's a lot of different types of innovation. There's a lot of different types of methodologies, and they don't have to be earth-shattering, you know, new inventions, as we've said many times. And the other, the key thing for me too is to remember that we're at our best when humanity and technology meet. So these are all things that we've constantly talked about over the time. So the 10 types of innovation, I'm just going to spiel through all of them to give you a rough idea of what they are. And then I'll go back and give you just a one-liner on what each one is. And then over the next few weeks, we'll go into a bit more depth onto each one. Okay. So you can actually innovate your profit model. You can innovate the way that you network. You can innovate the structure of the organisation. And this goes for whether you're a sole operator or whether you're a large organisation. You can innovate the process that you use to either innovate or have meetings or create product or service. You can innovate your product performance. You can innovate your product system. You can innovate the service that you supply. You can innovate how you reach your customers. Um, in, in the business model canvas, we call that the channels of distribution. In, you can innovate your brand slightly. It doesn't mean a whole rebrand or a remodel. It can just be a refresh or, a, or a, new, um, a new push on what you actually want to stand for. And you can innovate how you engage with your customers. So if we go back and I just give you a, an idea to think about for each one between now and next week, and then we'll go into a little more detail. Mm. So your profit model. How is it that you make money? And on the business model canvas, we talk about the revenue streams. How's the cash coming in? Where's your cash cow? What's the thing that's continually bringing the money in? Where's your 80-20 rule fit into this? So that's more than one sentence, isn't it? But how do you make money? Where's the profit model in the organisation? And what can you do to change it, slightly improve it? The network. How are you connecting with others to create value for yourself and for them? Are you utilising LinkedIn? And if you are, are you utilising it properly? Are you going to events? If you are, what kind of events are you going to? Are you collaborating with anyone? Structure is the third thing. So how um, how are you how are you organising the structure? How are you fixing your assets and the things that you want to improve? So where is the organisation in the structure that you have? Do you separate people? Do you have them all together? Do people actually want to work for your organisation? Is another thing that we need to ask. The process. How do things happen? 
do you have an order? Is there like a conveyor belt system that you know how things, you know, once you've got the idea, what's the next point? Who does it go to next? What happens after that? And then what happens? And that's something that can often be innovated to, to refine the way it happens, to cut costs, whatever. Product performance, what's the USP? How do you stand out from everybody else? Is your product reliable? And as Seth Godin says, is it remarkable? Are we able to make a remark about the product? The systems, the product systems, do you have complementary products and services? Um, what fit the model? How, what can you actually bundle together? What can you create um, so that you've got a system and potentially a product that actually work together? Service, how do you amplify your value? How do you tell people what you're worth? How do you get people to realise how you're different to, your, um, to others in your organisation? And if we think about the example that we commonly mention, Zappos, we know that they, they want to produce wow through customer service, which brings me into brand, which is another um, another category. How are you represented and what is it that, and what do you want to be known for? What do you stand for? There's a lot of brands moving into purpose. And the last two are channel. Um, so how do you connect to your customers? There's ways that we often can innovate that. And what's our customer engagement like? How, what are our interactions like? Are they different? Are they experiential? What a customer, how do they feel when they walk away from us? So those 10 avenues can all be innovated. Um, so innovation doesn't have to be this new butte thing that your organisation creates. There's a lot there, isn't there? We could probably take a little bit of every, you know, as a business, uh, one at a time over a, a year or two year process. That's exactly right. Yeah. And, and that's the other thing. There is no time limit on any of this, you know. Uh, and and it can be that you review, that you send them in a cycle, um, you know. So one month you might be discussing profit model, the next month you might be discussing networking, the next month you might be discussing structure. Mm. Um, and you can actually cycle through those. I mean, we've got 10. Why don't we make it a month, uh, a year, sorry. Count out, you know, December, January, because they're always busy with so holidays much. and busy with Christmas. And you take one every month and you... You know, you you get your people to have different thoughts, different ideas, bring them to the table. Great. Well, we look forward to the first three next week. We look forward to talking to you then, Julie, and have Thank a great week. You too. Bye-bye. Bye. Christina there with the uh, 10 types of uh, innovation. They sound very uh, complex, don't they? Or quite a lot there, but uh, time for a quick Harvard Business Review tip. This one, use the first few minutes of a virtual meeting to establish connections. Let's face it, conference calls can be boring. That's why so many people call in, press the mute button and spend time getting on with other work. If you want your team to be engaged during your next virtual meeting, try helping them establish a connection from the start. Open the conference line a couple of minutes ahead of schedule and stay on the line while people join. If it's a small group, use the opportunity to model the kind of colloquiality you want to see during the meeting itself. For example, hi Desmond, looks like rain, where are you? How's the weather? You don't have to make brilliant conversation, just small talk you would make if you were at a gathering in one room. This will give the attendees the opportunity to interact casually without taking time out of the meeting itself. With bigger groups, there isn't always possible, so consider using the first few minutes to share an update. Before the meeting, ask everyone to send in a sentence about their work. Share the list digitally right before the meeting starts so people can view, add their own updates and discuss while stragglers trickle in. So it's a good way of thinking there, isn't it?
Well, thank you for being with me for the last half hour. I hope you've enjoyed the program. In a moment, Jane Klein will be back with you with more of your easy listening favourites. Next week, we're going to talk about succession and sibling rivalry in a family business with Richard Owens from Family Business Australia and chat with Christina and, of course, have some more legal and business news and views. I'd love your company again for Business, the Law and You at the same time next week. Until then, have an exciting and prosperous week and, as Babs Hoffman once said, stop worrying about the potholes in the road and enjoy the journey. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.